Romans chapter 6. We are uh, in verses 5 through 10 this week. Romans 6, 5 through 10. Paul writes, For if we have been united with him, that is Christ, in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. The life he lives, he lives to God. That's where we'll end tonight and the passage that we'll look at. Would you please uh, pray for me before we jump in here? Lord God, we ask for uh, your grace. We ask for clear understanding of your word and your truth. God, as we see our union with Christ tonight, uh, I pray that Christ would be exalted. uh, And Lord, that we would see our great need for you. And that we'd see the great love you have towards us. We ask you bless this time. That you'd be honored and glorified. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Mm-hmm. Throughout my uh, schooling and uh, all the years in which I was a student uh, in school. Whether it be, I would say junior high, high school and college. Probably not much in elementary school. Uh, I've been part of many group projects. Maybe you've been part of group projects. Some of you guys are rolling your eyes Mm because you probably experienced something similar to me. (laughs) And that is that in our group projects, when they say get in a group of, say, two or get in a group of four, whatever it might be, however big the groups are, then you have this big project and it takes a month to do. You go home, you research, and you type up this report, and then you do a presentation to the class, and all this stuff. Without a doubt, most of the time, I would be the one in the group that literally did all of the work, 100% of the work, and my partners would do none of it. Maybe some of you guys are shaking your heads, you're like, yep, that's me, right? That even at the end of the presentation, you, you go up in front of the class and you think, okay, well, I've done all the research, I put it together, at least they'll say something during the presentation. Nope, they're like, I don't wanna say anything. So you end up saying everything. And let's just say you did such a good job that you got 100% on your whole report, right? What did your partners get? Most likely, 100% as well. Why? Because you guys were one group, right? You were together in a group. Even though maybe you did all the work and they did nothing, at the end, you guys both still received the same grade, 100%. In some ways, this is similar, not in every way, but in some ways it's similar to our union. If you're a Christian, your union with Christ. He does 100% of the work. Accomplishing everything on our behalf, but we share and we receive the reward as if we completed the work. And tonight in this passage, we see a glimpse of the union that Christians have with Christ. Verse 5, I think, is wonderful. It serves as kind of a thesis statement for us. Verse 5 says, For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And then Paul develops that idea in verses 6 through 10. So tonight we're going to look at 
the Christian's union in Christ's death as well as the Christian's union in Christ's resurrection. As he laid it out there for us in verse 5. And this union with Christ is so important. This union with Christ has dramatic effects and implications on our lives. Let me be clear that when we talk about union in Christ, we're speaking only about those who are indeed in Christ, that are united in him. But if you are still in Adam, like we looked at a couple weeks ago, if you're still in Adam, you do not share in these things in which we're going to talk about. These are for those who are in Christ. All right, so we're going to look at being united with him in Christ. In two main sections, the first being verses 6 through 7, we're going to look at united in Christ's... PowerPoint didn't work out. The main section here is united in Christ's death, verses 6 through 7. And our first section here is those united to Christ have died to their old self. All right, so your main point, it's not up there, I apologize, I don't know what happened, is called united in Christ's death. Verses 6 through 7. And the first aspect that we're going to look at being united in Christ's death is that those united to Christ have died to their old self. All right, looking at verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him. Paul says that in verse 6, that our old self was crucified in him, crucified in Christ. Now, it's important for us to understand what he means by old self. Right? If he says that our old self was crucified with him, well, what is that old self? The old self in which Paul is referring to is our old life. The life that was once in Adam. Okay, It should not be misunderstood as our old nature. That's not what he's talking about here. Our, our, our sinful nature, but instead as our old self as a person altogether. That's what's been crucified with him. That the Christian has died to their old self, he says. That they're no longer in Adam. That is not their identity anymore. That's not the identity of the Christian. It's not who they are. But the Christian instead is completely in Christ. Is completely a new person in Christ. That that old person, that their old self, has been crucified with Christ. So what does that mean? What does that mean that the Christian has been crucified with Christ? means that we are united with him. We're united in Christ and his death and that we share in all the things in which his death accomplished. Right, his death meant his release from the realm of sin, as we see in verse 10. It, it meant his release from the law, as we see in Galatians 4.4, and release from death, as we see in verse 9. So, Christian, to be united in his death, in Christ's death, means that you are released from sin and the law and death. If you are in Christ, Christian, sin has no more authority over you. You are free from its grip. In which you once submitted to sin, sin has no more authority over you. You are free. You are now united in Christ and no longer need to submit to sin. If you are in Christ, Christian, you are not bound by the law anymore, but you are bound by grace. We're going to look at that next week. That the law no longer has the final verdict over your life anymore. The law does not have the final verdict, but now grace has the final verdict. 
And if you are in Christ, then Christian death has no power over you any longer. Why? Because you are now alive in Christ. You will physically die unless Christ returns. But you have spiritual life now and eternal life to come. The old self was bound to these things. And if you are still in Adam, if you are here and you're still in Adam and you're not in Christ, you are still bound to them. You are still bound to the realm of sin. Non-Christian, sin is your master. You are enslaved to sin. And you cannot break free. And maybe you're here tonight. Maybe you are so enslaved that you don't even try to fight your sin any longer. In fact, maybe what bothers you is when other people tell you that your sin is wrong. Or what bothers you is when other people, they don't live in the same way that you do. You are bound by sin. And you can't say no to it. You can't say no to sin. So instead of being, being frustrated that you can't say no to your sin, you deceive yourself into thinking that you want to continue in your sin. And you're like, yeah, I, I, I want to keep living like this. But deep down, you know, you know that it's destructive. And deep down, you know that it's against your God and it's against your designed purpose. But you suppress that truth, says Romans 1. See, so you're still bound to sin. And you are still bound to the law. In your attempt to be made free from the sin, in your attempt to be made right with God, you try so hard maybe to keep the law. The law does not save you. But instead you are bound by it. For who can keep the whole law? As it says in James, if you break one part of it, what? You break it all. The law does not save. The law condemns. And the very law that you may obsess about keeping is the very law that condemns you in your sin. And not only are you bound to the law, but you're also bound to death. We looked at this last week. You're spiritually dead. Unable to respond to the promises and the truths of God. Just like Mr. Dead Guy. Remember Mr. Dead Guy? Yeah, he's spiritually dead, right? You cannot do anything to save yourself because you're spiritually dead. So you need a divine miracle to awaken your soul. You will also physically die. And maybe that's a terrifying thought. Your physical death. And it should be. Non-Christian, it should be a terrifying thought. Because unlike the Christian, your physical death does not lead you to paradise. Your death leads you to the eternal wrath of God. And you also will have eternal death. In which you will be cast into the lake of fire and will pay account for all of your sins. So non-Christian, you are bound. But know. Know that there is freedom in Christ. That you will not find freedom anywhere outside of Christ in which that you are bound. You need Jesus. And maybe you are here tonight and you've heard that you need Jesus before. And you're like, yes, I know. You say it all the time. So you know you need it. But, you, but do you believe that you really need him? We're saying it tonight. Lord, I need you. Right? Do you believe that? That you actually need Jesus? Because maybe you think, you know what? I, I, I seem to be doing fine right now. My life's fine. In fact, my life's good. Do I really need him? That is the deception of Satan. 
Don't listen to his lies. One day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And at that point, it will be too late for you. You will still bow the knee and you will still confess with your tongue. But it will be too late. Trust. Turn to Christ now in faith and repentance and trust in him and be saved. Now, Christian, this was you. Don't forget. This was you. This is your old self. Right? He says that we, we know that our old self was crucified. This was you, your old self. And the word old here is this very specific word. It's not a word used like for chronologically like new or old. But instead, it's a word that's used to describe something that's useless. Like that's old. It's useless. It's only good for throwing in the trash is what the word actually means. Like it's old. You know, moldy. I don't know. Like it's, it's useless. Like they throw it in the trash. That's what he's saying. This old South, your old South Christian is useless. It's garbage. It's been put away with. It's been crucified with Christ. That's your old South. So don't go back to the old South, he's saying. Why would you? Why would you go back to the old South? It's garbage. I think sometimes, and I include myself in this, that we can look at the sins of the world and we wish that we were them. You know what I mean? Like sometimes we, 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 we look and we, we, we walk through, through Vanity Fair and we say, oh man, I like this. Or we say, oh man, I, I want to do this. We go through and we, and we envy the, the non-Christians and we envy their sin. And we're like, man, that, that's, that looks so cool. That looks so fun. I, I like that. Christian, we die to the old south. He said the old south is useless. Don't fall to the temptation of the world thinking we should go back to the old south. You are a new creation in Christ. So don't go back to the useless life. It's the old south. A, a, a Christian is not just a, a refined person of, of who they once were. Not just, it's not just a refinement. Christianity isn't a reality TV show uh, called Extreme Makeover. And now look at this new Christian. Yeah, like Christians aren't refurbished people. Christians are new creations. The old South is useless. The old South is garbage. And, and, and the old South was crucified with Christ. Not refurbished. The Christian is dead to it. So Christian, be dead to it. Be dead to the old South. Don't look back at the past way of living and be jealous of, of the sinful lust of this world. Remember that is the old self. And that is useless garbage. Is that how you view the old self? Is that how you view the old self? Or do you envy the old self? So first we see that those united to Christ have died to their old self. Secondly, <laughs> like yourself. Secondly, those united to Christ are no longer enslaved to sin. 
those united to Christ are no longer enslaved to sin. Verse 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Christian, our old self has been crucified with Christ. Our bodies of sin have been brought to nothing. Why? So that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Sin no longer has effective power or control over us, Christian. Our slavery to sin has been broken by Christ. Will the Christian still sin? Yes. Paul's not suggesting that since we've died of sin, we're no longer capable of sinning. That's not what he's saying. But we are no longer under the tyranny and rule of sin. We don't need to obey sin as we once did. Will the Christian sin? Yes. But we don't need to anymore. And we will sin less and less. We were slaves to sin, but we've died to that in Christ, and we've now been set free. The submission and slavery to sin, that submission to sin, that slavery to sin, that characterizes the old self. But those in Christ have died to that, right? That's a characteristic of the old self. But those in Christ have died to the old self. That's God has been put away with. So don't go back acting like you're still slaves to sin. Don't go back to your old self that's characterized by your submission to sin. Don't go back to it. He's saying that you're not enslaved anymore. You've died to that. A Christian, maybe... Maybe you struggle with a sin. And maybe you've been struggling with a sin for a long time. Maybe you struggle with a sin, you feel like, man, I still am a slave to it. And maybe you feel it's impossible for you to say no to it. Hear this, Christian, be encouraged that you are no longer a slave to sin. No longer a slave to sin. That Christ has victory over that sin. And if you are in Christ, then you too have victory over that sin. Don't listen to the lies of Satan saying you can't overcome that sin. Because Christ already overcame it for you. And you may struggle with this sin maybe your whole life. It may be a lifelong struggle. Yes, I'm not denying that. But in Christ, you have the power to say no to your sin. Because your sin has no power over you because you are united in Christ. And sin has no power over Christ. So don't feel like, oh man, this is just who I am. This is, this is how I've always struggled with this. This is me. This is, this is who I am. If you are a Christian, that is who you were. Not who you, who you are, but that old self of who you were died with Christ. He was crucified with him. You've been set free. So Christian, don't, don't let the enemy deceive you into thinking that, that the shackles are still on. Like, I, 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 have to, I, have to, I can't say no to this sin. Yes, you can. You're no longer enslaved to sin. But you've been set free from sin because of Christ. Now, if you are not a Christian... You need to understand, you are still enslaved to sin. 
And we're going to talk more about this in the coming weeks, so I don't want to get too much into it. But you need to know, you are a slave. And sin is your master. You think you're free because you don't submit to God. And you look at the Christians and you pity them like, oh, they have to submit to God. Look at them. Look, look at Ethan. He just does all this good stuff. <laughs> right? And then you just pity Ethan and all these people. We're all slaves. We're all slaves. The question is, who is your master? See, those who are slaves to God have a gracious, forgiving, patient master whose yoke is light. And their end is eternal life in heaven for all of eternity. Those who are slaves to sin have a ruthless, deceitful master who promises life and promises satisfaction, but in the end leads to destruction, pain, and torment. Not a Christian, you are not free. You're not free. You are enslaved. You submit to the wrong master. Do you feel the weight of your sin? Christian or non-Christian, anyone. Do you, you feel the weight of your sin? If so, that's a good thing. Because that, that is probably an indicator of the Holy Spirit graciously convicting you of your sin. But what do you do with that sin? What do you do when you feel that, that burden, you feel that weight? Don't try to work it off with good works. Oh, man, I did bad, so I better do five good things to make up for it. Don't try to hide it from God like Adam and Eve. Oh, we sinned. I got to go hide. Take it directly to him. Lay it at the feet of Jesus and know that if you are in Christ, that he took the penalty for your sin, every single one. If you are in Christ, he's taking the penalty of every single one of your sins, and you are no longer enslaved to it. You don't need to hide from it, but you can bring it to the Lord and confess your sins to him and receive mercy and forgiveness. If you no longer feel any weight of your sin, if you just sin and you feel no weight, you don't feel any conviction of your sin, if, if you become just so numb to your sin that you just you sin so easily and you don't even care, man, there, there is reason for concern. And I pray that God would convict your heart and call you to repentance. We should never be comfortable with our sin. If you're not a Christian, maybe you are comfortable with your sin. I pray that, that, that God would change that in you. That you would see the seriousness of your sin. That you would turn to him in repentance. And faith that he will forgive you. If you're a Christian and you're feeling numb to your sin. I pray you would not be comfortable with your sin. But that you would hate your sin. Because it goes against the God in which you love. And you would bring it before him and receive the mercy of God. We see united in Christ's death, but we also see united in Christ's life, verses 8 through 10. And we'll look at two points here, united in Christ's life. The first is that those united to Christ have victory over sin and death. Those united to Christ have victory over sin and death. Paul says that Christ 
has risen from the dead and will never die again. Sorry, I I lost my spot. There is verse nine. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Like, that is significant. Do you see that in verse 9? Like, let's not miss the power and the importance of the statement that Christ is risen from the dead, then he will never die again. Like, even Lazarus, right? Remember Lazarus? He died and he rose by the power of Christ, raised from the dead. But then what happened to Lazarus? He died again. Not Christ. Christ has risen and will never die again. Death has no lordship over Christ. But Christ has lordship over death. And he is ruling at the right hand of God. And he will return and conquer. He will not die again. No one will have victory over Christ. In fact, he is already the victor. But what does this mean for us today? What does it mean for us today that he's risen and will never die again? And, and that, that he, he is alive, sitting in the right hand of God. What does it mean? Well, one, it means that you can trust him completely. That you can trust Christ completely because Christ is ruling today and he has victory today. Not just, hey, I think one day he's going to have victory. He will have victory, but he has victory even today. And so when the world around you seems to be crumbling, and when all seems lost in the world, know that it's not. Christ is is alive and he is victorious and you can completely trust him and rest in his reigning power. See, oftentimes we, I think we, we, we trust in the last days and the eternity to come and we're like, yeah, I know, like one day I'll be with God in heaven and he's going to win, like all this stuff. And that's good, you should trust that. But can you trust him in the little things today? You say, I trust him in the big things. Okay. But do you trust him in the little things? Can you trust him with the relational problems that you're having with your friends or your family? It just seems like there's always a rift between you and and, and now things are uncomfortable, now things are difficult, and and you've you've lost a really close friend. Can you trust him in that? Can you trust him with the loss of a loved one? When grandma dies, when your friend dies, or someone else close, you're like, man, it wasn't their time to go. Can you trust him in that? Can you trust him when your plans aren't going the way that you thought they would? He said, man, I had it all figured out. I was going to do this. I was going to go there. I was going to have this, all this. And it all just fell apart. And he said, man, but those were good things for you, God. I thought I was going to do good things for you. Can you trust him in that? See, trust him completely in the big, in the small. He has victory. He has risen. And he's ruling today. What else does it mean? It it also means that if you are in Christ, you share in his resurrection and you share in his victory over death. Right? Being united in him means that you share in his resurrection, you share in his victory over death. Which means what, Christian? That death has no victory over you. That's incredible. Probably the biggest fear and concern in this world is death. It's the thing that people try to avoid most, but it's the one thing that is most certain in life, is death. And we fear it, because we can't prevent it. It is the inevitable ending 
to our lives. But not for the Christian. We don't need to fear it. 1 Corinthians 15. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? He goes on to say, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, there is no fear in death, Christian, because death has no victory over you. Death has no sting for you, Christian. You share in the victory of Christ. You share in his resurrection. One day, your earthly body will die. And that's okay, because you will be in the presence of Christ. There's no sting in that. There's no loss in that. But there is victory in that. We don't need to fear. Now Paul goes on here to say that Christ died to sin in verse 10. He says, for the death he died, he died to sin once for all. How did Christ die to sin? And how do Christians share in that victory? And Christ lived a perfect, sinless life. Sin never had a grip on Christ. So how did Christ die to sin? How could Paul have said this? I think in a couple ways. One, he, he died to the penalty of sin. Right? He died to sin. He died to the penalty of sin. The sins of the world were put on his shoulders. And he bore the legal demands of sin. The wages of sin is death. And Christ experienced this physical death, yes. And not only that, but he bore the wrath of God on behalf of his people. And Christians share in this. You see, if you are in Christ, you will never experience a drop of the wrath of God. Why? Because Christ took the cup completely on your behalf. You see, Christ prayed to the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, Father, if you are willing, remove this what? This cup from me. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And what did the Father say? He said, this is my will. That you take this cup. And Christ was obedient. And he took, if you are a Christian, he took your cup of wrath and he bore every last drop that you deserve so that you will not receive any of it. Not that he drank most of the cup, but there's still a couple drops left that you need to take. No, he took every last drop. He died to the penalty of sin. So that Christian, you don't have to. And what else? But he died to sin once and for all. Once and for all. He achieved a victory that will never need repeating. Christ does not need to die again. We don't need to make sacrifices to appease God. Christ is the once and for all supreme, sufficient sacrifice. And you're like, that's not that big of a deal. I, I, I wasn't tempted to sacrifice lambs and slit their throats and do Okay, I'm not saying that. But other ways, in other ways, we do sacrifice to God maybe as if he didn't complete it. What I mean by that is this. Guys, do, do, do not think that you need to add to Christ's work in any way. That's what I'm saying. Some of you punish yourself for your own sins. You punish yourself, whether that be physically or whether it be spiritually, living in your own guilt, living in your own shame. You punish yourself. And when we punish ourselves, when, when, when we dwell on our sin so much that it becomes an over 
overwhelming amount of guilt we take away from Christ's sacrifice and his victory. Saying that it wasn't enough. But Christians share in Christ's death that was once and for all. So rest in his grace, do you see? Rest in his grace. To, to add punishment to yourself is to say that Christ's sacrifice is not enough. That you in some way need to contribute to the guilt of your sin. That is lowering the work of Christ and it is elevating yourself. Christ died of sin once and for all. So rest in his grace. We are united to Christ in that. We are united to Christ and we have victory over sin and death. And lastly, those united to Christ live for God. They live for God. Paul says in verse 8 that if we died with him, we will also live with him. Right? We will live with him. Now, Paul's not referring here to the future resurrection, but that is true. We will live with him in the future resurrection. But I don't believe that's what he's talking about in this context. Rather, he's speaking on the experience of resurrection life here and now. Not future, but here and now. That there are present implications of this promise of future resurrection life. And one of those implications is what he says in verse 10, which is living for God. As he says at the end of verse 10, but the life he lives, he lives to God. He's talking about living in this present life in righteousness and holiness to God. Living a life fully for him. The fact that you are risen in Christ and alive in him, right? That you're united and alive in Christ. It dramatically changes how you live your life today, knowing of the future resurrection to come. That's what he's saying. Keeping in mind the future resurrection to come, that should affect how you live your life for God today. How? Well, it affects our boldness to live for Christ. Does it not? It affects our boldness. Why would you not live boldly for him? Well, I, I might lose things. Well, what might you lose if you live boldly for him? Your reputation? Okay. Well, you are a child of God. You already have his favor. The creator of the universe. Like, who cares what Joe Schmo thinks of you? Let your reputation be lost. Well, I might lose my possessions. Okay. Well, what? You have the immeasurable riches in Christ. Who cares about the things of this world that are perishable? Go ahead, lose your possessions. Well, if I live boldly for Christ, I could lose my life. Okay. What can man do to you? Kill you? Great. Now do me a favor. Like to live to Christ, to live as Christ, and what? To die is gain. So what? Be bold to live for Christ, knowing what is to come. You see? So it affects our boldness to live for Christ. What else? It affects our goals and pursuits in life. Knowing the resurrection to come affects our lives now in what? Our goals and our pursuits in this life today. Knowing, Christian, that you have one life to live here. Live it for your Lord, your Savior, Creator, and King. Right? Like live for Him. You have one life. Can you be like Paul and get to the end of your life and say, I'm being poured out as a drink offering 
right? Pour it out. I'm being poured out. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. Like, that's it. I'm at the end of my life, and I gave it my all. I gave it all to Christ. Like, can you say that? Like, well, hopefully not right now. Hopefully you're not, like, dying right now. But, like, when you get to the end of your life, like, will you be able to say that? and say, I mean, I poured it out for God. I gave it my all. Everything I had. Or will you end your life and you say, man, I, I wasted it. And you stand before God and God says, hey, how did you use the gifts that I gave you? Hey, how did you use the one life that I gave you? And you say, I, you know, I don't know, but hey, I, I, I was able to watch every show on, on Netflix and Disney+. Plus. <laughs> like that's something, right? Is that how you use your, your, your life? The life that God gave you? If you're in Christ, you have spiritual gifts, the gifts that he's given you. And it's going to look different for different people. I'm not saying that you have to do all this stuff. Right? It even says, 1 Corinthians 12, what, the, the, one, the, the part of the body that seems weaker is what? Indispensable. So I'm not saying that, that you got to be all this, but I'm saying are you using, are you a good steward of what God's given you? And one thing he's given you is your life. Are you using that for the glory of God? Look at eternity. And remember, remember the dot in the line, right? Yeah. So look at eternity. Look at that line that's to come. Look at that line. So, all right. And then in your dot, that little dot that you're living, live for God in all you do. Because you're looking at that line saying, all right. I see it. It's going to be there. It's coming. But right now I'm in this dot. And so I'm going to live all of it for God. If you're united in Christ, then what? You share the same purpose and goal of Christ. Right? You're united in Him. You're one with Him. And so you share in the same purpose as Him. You share in the same goal as Him as what? Which is to glorify the Father in all things. That's what Christ was all about. He was here, what? To do the will of His Father. And so if you're united in Christ, then what? You're here, what? To do the will of your Father. That was Christ's goal. Always. And if you are in Christ, that ought to be your goal as well. You see, so there are present implications of the promise of future resurrection for the Christian today. In your union with Christ. The Christian is united in Christ. The Christian is united in Christ's death. And is united in Christ's resurrection. And having union with Christ makes a dramatic difference and has astounding implications for our lives. Now, I'm no scientist. I know that's probably surprising a lot of you. But I'm no scientist. I don't pretend to be. But it's going to sound like I pretend to be, okay? And I didn't just get this off a movie called Interstellar. But based on my very limited knowledge of black holes... <laughs> or at least what I think people believe about them. <laughs> I think it can serve as a great illustration to the Christian life. A black hole. Okay? Track with me, please. What's a black hole? I think. I don't know. I think a black hole is a collapsed star that has so much density and gravity that nothing can escape it. Not even light. Hence the name, black hole. Right? Okay? Tracking? Good. 
And I don't think anyone really seems to know what happens to the objects that go into the black hole, but it seems to really defy all laws of physics from what we understand. In fact, some believe that an object that goes through a black hole passes into another time period or existence. I have no idea, okay? Is that a stretch? Yeah. This is why I hear. Now, the point, okay, so just imagine that's the black hole. Crazy thing. The point I want to make is, is this, two, twofold. One, in the same way that an object would pass through a black hole and never come back, so is the Christian who is united to Christ, who died to sin, can never return to their formal sphere of existence. You see what I'm saying? Like that if you are in Christ, you have died to that old self. You've died to it. It was crucified with Christ. The old that was garbage. It's useless. It's crucified with Christ. It's gone. You are alive in him, and you are now a new creation. So have confidence, Christian. Have confidence that there's no going back. You are secure in Christ. We're going we're gonna to see that in Romans 8. Right? Like you're secure in him. But also, Christian, don't, don't live as if you are going back. Don't be like, ah, oh, you know, I'm going to poke my head out of this black hole and try to go back. No, like you're gone. You can't go back. So live as a new creation. And secondly, in regards to the black hole, if any, if any one of us, I believe, were to ever pass through a black hole, like actually, it would without a doubt be the most important, like altering, irreversible event and experience of our life. We went through a black hole. Like, that'd be crazy. And as great as that would be to pass through a black hole, it would not be as great of a change that has taken place from the person who was once in Adam and is now in Christ. You see what I'm saying? Like, there is nothing greater than that. There is nothing more incredible. It is more incredible than going through a black hole. And yet sometimes like we act like as if it's the norm. Like we act like it's the norm that I've been saved. Like, yeah, hey, I'm a Christian. Like that's just normal. Like that, that's cool. It's whatever. Like as if we just joined a club or something. No. Like this is incredible. I'll be honest, when I was when I was baptized at the age of 13, I think. I, like I was nervous, obviously. For those who baptized, you're probably nervous. And, but there was something in me that felt like, like I have a lame testimony. And maybe some of you felt that. And I was like, like I I grew up in a Christian home, right? It's got to start off that way. Like I grew up in a Christian home, blah 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 blah, and then I was saved. And like, and I felt like, oh, like this is boring. Like everyone's got like these cool things, and it's just me. Like, no, like, no way is it lame. Like, now I'm like, no, my testimony is not lame. It's awesome. Why? Because it's a miracle from God. Like, it truly, truly is. It is greater than going through a black hole. I mean, if you went through a black hole, you'd be telling everyone, would you not? Like, it'd be on your, like, like Insta, Snap, book, tumble, tweeting, discording thing or whatever. Like, it'd be in all those things at once. Right? You'd be like, oh, everyone, I just went through a black hole. And they're gonna be like, yeah, whatever, okay? But like, you did. Like, it'd be crazy, and you'd want to tell everyone about it. Like, Christian, if you're a Christian here tonight, do you have that same gusto? Do you, still, do you have that same enthusiasm with what's happened to your soul? As if you went through a black hole? Like, the fact that God has transferred you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his marvelous light, like, that's crazy. And we're just like, yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian. 
Like, no, this is crazy. Like, no doubt that. The fact that God saved you is the most incredible thing that's ever happened to you. Even if you've grown up in the church your whole life, it's incredible that he would save you. I hope you understand that. I hope you view it as such. Are you in Christ? Are you in Christ? Thanks be to God if you are. If you are, it's not by your own power. It's not by your own intelligence or your own works that enabled you to be in Christ. It's only by the grace of God and his divine purpose that you're saved. That's it. So praise him and give him thanks for the work that he's done in your life. And maybe you are still in Adam. And I'll close with this, a word to those who are still in Adam. That means you're not a Christian. If this is you, know that you need to be united to Christ. I fear for those who reject him. There are those in this room who reject Christ. And I fear for you because your end is destruction. Come to Christ. Come to Christ where you will find grace and mercy. Where you will find purpose. Where you will find eternal life. You need Christ. Bow the knee to Christ. Repent of your sins and place your faith in the finished work of him. Come and be united with Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for our union with Christ. God, that you have saved us from our sin, that you have given us new life. Lord, I pray that we would indeed live for you, that we indeed would live like Christ to the glory and praise of your name. God, for those in here that are still in Adam that are are not united with you, Lord, I pray that you would have a miracle in their heart in their life. God, that we would celebrate and rejoice with them as you would have transferred them into the kingdom of darkness and into your kingdom. Lord, we pray that you'd be glorified as we discuss these things, that your spirit would continue to work in our hearts. Lord, that you would grow us, that you would change us, that you'd be glorified. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.